attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked to Michael E. Gerber. He's the author of The E-Myth, The E-Myth Revisited. He's the co-author of The E-Myth Architect, and now making it on your own in America, or wherever you may happen to live, a radical journey towards self-employment. As you listen in, you'll hear that Michael challenged small firm architects to be more entrepreneurial, and even to rethink what the architecture of architecture is in order to change the way that architecture is practiced in the future. I realized during this conversation that Michael is also a professional provocateur. He's here to challenge us. And to be honest, some of our audience wasn't here for it. He rubbed some of our community the wrong way, but I actually think that that's a good thing. Listen in as my co-host Catherine McPhail and I talk with architects Isra Banks and Christian Nielsen-Palacios about our conversation with Michael E. Gerber. So 
we've invited Isra Banks and Christian Nielsen Palacios to join us backstage. Isra is an architect and an educator and the founder of Trivec Architects in Boston, Massachusetts. And Christian is an architect, a spec writer, a translator, and a QAQC hawk based in Ithaca, New York. So Isra and Christian, welcome backstage. What, a, what an introduction. I'll have to hire you to record that for my website or something. Thanks for having us, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to be with you and Catherine. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. What a day to be here. It, it is a it is quite a day to be here. Um, we talked to Michael Gerber, Michael E. Gerber, the author of the E-Myth and the E-Myth Revisited and apparently 20, about 22 other other books. My first impression was that was quite a ride. I, I was encouraged because a number of people commented there at the end that uh, they really enjoyed the conversation. But what what's your big takeaway, anybody? What's your big takeaway from that conversation today? I'm sure it'll be somewhat controversial. So let's let's get into it. I thought it was great myself. I feel like he really called it when he was talking about, I mean, he was really literally describing me being upset working on Minnie and Murray's garage and that, you know, I didn't go out to save the world and then uh, to end up doing this garage. So that was like, how do you know me so well? I have to go to your dreaming room class because you know me so well. Harsh, harsh reality. In the first 10 minutes, he started with, you need to make architecture available for everyone. And that was it for me. For example, one as an entrepreneur, one would think about popularizing architecture and to make it available to the least among us so that it would become an intelligent system as opposed to a professional architect. A professional system would be absolutely constructible were one to think, how could I do that without me having to be there? How could we, in short, automate this process? Um, in an intelligent manner that wouldn't reduce architecture to banality, but in fact expand its capability, but at significantly less cost than a professional would insist upon. And suddenly you realize that it releases it from the architect and um, produces an artificial intelligent methodology that could do what in fact the least and most effective architect could never do, but to do it for everyone. Ever since, I don't know, ever since I started teaching, ever since I, for the past probably seven to 10 years, I have been obsessed with, with this idea is architectural dying. How do we revive this? How do we make it available for everyone? Why people don't take architect seriously why is it only for the one percent and yeah i to me that's a very big problem uh, it, it really worries me and when he said um this is the only way or probably i i understood it like that this is the only way to systemize it and make it more affordable and make it more efficient and find a way there is a way he can he's not an architect it's our job to find it we're not going to hire uh, an it or a software creator to come up with a software that makes architecture available for everyone. So if one of us or the collective of us 
come up with something that makes architecture available for everyone, that, that would be the revival of architecture. You know, you said something right there that I had not thought about. You know, you, you were talking about the fact that people don't take architects seriously. And, you know, it's up to us and, you know, everything that Michael talked about. And when you said that, what registered in my mind was if people aren't taking architecture seriously, maybe it's because architects are not taking the business of architecture seriously. Because that's that's usually where the complaint stems from. Like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're beating our fees down. or It's usually a business-related complaint not a design related complaint or things like that. And I, I had not processed that. To be honest, I feel that this is probably, I should never say that, but I'm going to say it. I feel that the value we provide to our clients is disproportionate to the fee we ask for. Although we spend much more effort and time then our fee it's our fee is very small to the effort we, we spend because of our methods. I see doctors when they see a, a patient with a long history and they, they spend like 10 minutes reading there. That's the complete opposite of they're not putting enough time, but we put a lot of time and that time can be shrunk if we develop better systems. Yeah. But then if you just charge hourly, then you just did it in an hour where it used to take you 40 hours and then not, not an hour to 40. You don't need to charge hourly or you can have your hour like for a thousand dollars per hour. And a, but at the same time, we're talking about um, making it accessible to everybody. So isn't that making it more affordable? Isn't that, isn't the reason it's not accessible because of the cost of what we do? So imagine if you have all these systems, I don't know what systems are, but you're going to design a house in probably two hours and you're going to charge for it $2,000 instead of $20,000. Wouldn't that be amazing for you and your client? And then much more clients would hire architects instead of going to contractors or having cookie cutter houses, not cookie cutter, but much more standardized uh, than custom, but, but custom can still still be there. Um, what let's say similar to clothing, fashion industry is have all kind of all kind of stuff, and everyone is working and everyone is selling. I I don't see us wearing the same clothes, but I see houses are all the same. <laughs> I in my neighborhoods they all look the same. Let me uh, preface my my words by saying. In preparation for this today, I just uh, read a summary that I found on Kindle of the E-Myth Revisited. So I, I have not read specifically the one on, on architects. But while I agree with everything that Isra is saying, I don't think that's what he writes about in his books. And uh, that his books all focus on you being a business with many employees and making a product that you can standardize and make to the same, or he doesn't even say better quality in, in the summary that I read. And that's not what all of us do. I'm, I'm glad that many of the entry architects that were there today seem to appreciate and enjoy his uh, 
presentation, but there's a few of us who are different and I'm one of them. So uh, when I asked if I should be reading another one of his books because I don't make coffee or donuts or hamburgers or even drawings. So I don't have a product to, to sell and standardize. All I do is give advice to people. So I'm more like a equivalent to a psychologist, I suppose, or maybe an accountant. So I asked if I should be buying the book he wrote for the accountants instead of the one for architects. And he didn't respond to that. But then he said something disparaging uh, self-employment, that if you don't aspire to have a company of a thousand and, and uh, things like that, then all you have is self-employment. So maybe that is the definition of what I'm doing. And that is exactly what I want. So then he went on to call me an idiot for, I mean, <laughs> for thinking that way, which I well, did not appreciate. And, and I disagree with him, but uh, may, maybe he needs to write another book for self-employed idiots. <laughs> They're all for self-employed idiots, Christian. I think that's the point, right? I mean, well, actually, the way I read it was that he was talking about systematizing the way that you do things and the way you work, like that all of the different things that go into running the business, not necessarily standardizing like the hamburger production or something like that. So I was thinking, I was thinking at one point that instead of thinking about serving the clients in a standardized way, really, I was thinking that we could put together a laptop, let's say, that has all the programs that you need on it and a manual how to run your company. And so what what do you do when the calls come in? What what do you do when you go to the people's houses to talk to them? And so that whole thing, you take out, I mean, it's only one person's opinion of which one's the best program to use for this and that and everything, right? But you hook them up with Calendly and whatever else you, systems you have come up with to run your business. And so that's the thing that you would sell. So I was thinking, how would you sell it would be like a book, but I guess it could just be a laptop that's already loaded with all this stuff. So then this new architect coming out of school can just buy this laptop that's already got all what they need on it. And like, this is how you do it on the business side of things. Yeah, the closest thing I think I can think of is Let's imagine going to a website and buy a car from a website and customize it, build your own. And like, this is the color of the leather I want. This is, and you just check boxes. Let's think of a building as if it was a car, redesign it and, and make like schematics for it as if it was a car. Well, that would be like pre-designing the houses, basically. You could make it affordable that way. Yep. But that isn't a business that you can sell. Like standardizing the plans isn't really the business. You know, that's not the business part of it. That's the product. Uh, one, one thing that intrigued me was, um, and just for those of you that don't know, a peek into the insanity that is, is context and clarity. To prepare for these kind of conversations, I, I'll listen to books and podcasts and things. And so leading up to this conversation with Michael Gerber since I guess Friday of last week, I listened to his new book, making it on your own in America or wherever you happen to live, re-listened to E-Myth Revisited and re-listened to the E-Myth Architect and then some podcasts and some other things. And I finished the e re-listening to the E-Myth Architect this afternoon. And when I was asking him, how do you mesh the McDonald's? And hey, I'm designing a custom home, you know, in, into this business. What I expected was 
the things that they talked about in the Emeth Architect, right? Where we've got systems, you know, Israel, you you talked about this. You, you've all kind of touched on this. You've got checklists and you've got systems for for hiring and for production and for answering phones and, you know, these types of things. That's what I expected. But what I heard him say, and, you know, sometimes we hear what we want to hear, but what I heard him say was something completely different, as in you need to rethink about what architecture is and, and what the practice of architecture is. And, th and that actually excited me because I, yes. I think we do need to rethink I don't know if it needs to be more affordable. I was surprised that he said make it make architecture available for everybody. I don't disagree with that at all, but I really do. I mean, that's one of the reasons I teach pro practice. I think he was listening to your YouTube or something. Maybe you never know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's that's literally why why I agree to teach pro practice <laughs> because I think I think we do need to rethink about what the business of architecture is. Christian, when I look at what you do with the translation and, and the spec writing and the, the QA, QC, with that model that you have, I think that's really important. I think that's a really important example. What I see in the future, I, I think it's already going on, is that big firms, I mean, like the large firms, maybe the mega firms, I think they keep getting bigger. I think we lose the middle-sized firms. I think there's at some point there's this vacuum where there are no middle-sized firms anymore. And what you have is, is the large firms and then boutique firms. And I think that's totally all right. You know, I think there's room for that where we play our roles and our very specific roles. But I also think it does require us to reimagine what the practice of architecture means. And it can mean something for you, Isra, and something for you, Christian, and something for you, Catherine. It can be different. But that I was not expecting. Were you expecting to have him um, say those things about John Jones wanting to be Franklin, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither was John. Oh, no. Yeah. But you know what? I uh, Speaking of devil's advocate, I kind of feel like, like Christian, who, what's the problem if I just want to be doing my job by myself and I'm just self-employed? Who cares? You know, I look at Triscuits, for example, in the supermarket. There are always new flavors, new flavors, new flavors. Like, I don't, not everything has to scale, does it? Or does it? I don't think so. I mean, I, I go back to, in E-Myth Revisited, maybe some of the other books as well, probably some of the other books as well. He says the purpose of business is to grow something to, to be sold, I guess, you know, some version of that. And so if that's his premise, I completely understand saying that if you're a company of one, mm -hmm. you're self-employed and, and that's that's a problem. Yeah. For him. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's his If we accept the yeah, premise that's that that's his view. point of view, that, that's, yeah. if we start yeah. there, then yeah, Jerry the architect, what did he say? It was Jerry the architect has no value. Well, and and I get that too, right? You You work a career and... You know, we look around the room right now and we're all <laughs> solopreneurs essentially. So mm -hmm. there's that. But so you get you get to the point where you're done. And we talked about this several weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what our topic for the week was, but do you just hang it up? Do you pass it off to somebody else? Do you sell it? You know, what's what's the um 
what's the legacy of, of this thing or, or what's the, you know, what, what comes next after you're done. And, you know, there's a part of me that completely understands, you know, I put in a lot of work and a lot of effort. Wouldn't it be great to get something out of this, right? To get some payoff. Um, you know, I'm, those of you who are listening to this can't see me raising my hand. I'm not headed in that direction. I'm not headed in the direction right now of a payoff of something that I can sell. So I, I get I get that sentiment, but I also get what we talk about when we talk about quality of life and things like that too. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of his uh, measuring criteria have to do with monetary gain. And uh, obviously I live in a country where having money is important and essential because everything is kind of so expensive, including vital needs that uh, we have. But I am fortunately at a stage in my life where my happiness and lack of stress is a much more valuable thing to me than the amount of money that I make, or even more, the amount of money that I could make if I did things differently. And I don't care about that if they're you know if i take the bucket tomorrow too bad you know right. uh, i i don't need to leave a, a legacy or to sell the firm or or train people to continue when i'm gone or unable to do it yeah i, I think you know to be clear whichever one of his books that you pick up you know pick the version they are strictly about business and making money. I have not seen my, well, I, I guess he does start off with the dream and the purpose and, and those things, but, but his ultimate goal is not being, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it's not being happy or balanced because they do talk. He does talk he about, talks that. about that. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But it, but they are, they are absolutely, you know, you're in business to make money kind of books. Yeah, but going back to, to Israel's uh, thing about serving the 99% or whatever, I, I think that's something I would love to do. But in order to be that efficient that you can design a house in two hours, it means that it cannot be totally custom. You know, like you can maybe vary the floor plan or, or the number of bedrooms, but you say, my wall section is what I drew already. It's already drawn, the wall section, the products are already selected, the systems and so on, because that's the only way I can accomplish this in, in, in one day or two hours or whatever the number is. And then the thing is that many of that 99%, they don't have the money. Just yesterday, I was asked to submit a, a proposal to design a facility for uh, homeless women and their children. And obviously, the organizations that, that would hire me, they don't have the funds to pay full price or, or to hire HOK or, or some star architect. So our values matter too. So I will submit a proposal that will not be for the rate that I prefer to charge because it's a, a project that I'm interested in, not because of the money I'm going to make, but because of the difference that project is going to make in the lives of however many women are served in that facility. I think one of the things he talked about in the book was that if you start, if you're a technician and you start your own business and work for yourself doing that, you've created this job for yourself, but you don't, it's even worse than before when you work for somebody else, because you can't take time off and 
it's just, you create a worse uh, situation for yourself. So I kind of got the impression that he was trying to point out to, well, maybe it's just because I'm a technician. So I was taking it this way, but just to develop the manager and entrepreneur side of my business so that it could be more balanced. And so that I can have more freedom as someone who's doing what I'm doing. I thought that's a message I got from that book that revisited. If we had had five more minutes of time, my next question would have been, is it possible to be a solopreneur and work on the business rather than in the business? Because you have to be the technician, you have to be the practicing architect. And we could say, well, yeah, you can, you balance the time and, and all of these things, but every decision you make and every next thing you do takes away from what still needs to be done and, you know, what the next thing is. And so that, that was that idea of, of balancing the, the, the technician and the manager and the entrepreneur is obviously central to the whole e-myth system and, and getting to the point of, of even getting help. Um, but then all of a sudden, it's more than just me. So, you know, that coming back around, is it possible to work on, on the business rather than in the business in a real way if you're, if you're by yourself? And the past year and a half, I was making a deliberate decision not to take a lot of projects or say no, even though I'm just starting to, I, I can't say I, ba I balanced it because there was like two months increments where I do this part of business and the other part, the technician and the visionary and the managerial, but I like it that way. So I can focus on growing the business, scaling it to where it needs to be. And probably then I get the kind of projects I want. You know, one thing that I find intriguing as well is if you think way back, I don't remember which episode this was, but we talked to Patrick McLamey. He retired as the CEO of HOK and uh, he'd been there 50 years. He talked about Helmus manifesto and in the manifesto helma says there have to be three partners there's the marketing there's the design and there's the operations essentially and i'm not sure if i've got all the words exactly right that manifesto predates the e-myth by 40 years i think but you see the parallels there if you have an entrepreneur a manager and a technician, those are essentially the roles that Helma said you have to have. Um, so that, that, that was kind of a, an epiphany moment for me as, as well, I guess. Yeah, me too. I was thinking like, what if there's a group of people that have all these qualities or character traits and make a group and that the business would be running up and running really fast. Someone asked and and I, I don't think he answered, but other than his co-author for that book, has he ever worked with an architect? Yeah, he mentions, I think in the book too, he mentions working with numerous architects as a business coach. But I think the question Edward uh, asked if he has hired an architect. Yeah. 
and so you want to gauge if he understands the process of architecture. I, I know what what Edwards means, and I'm not. Uh, I think I have talked about some of these principles in the past, and the community of Wantry Architect did not like what I said. I know what where they're coming from about customer, but. Again, we need to make this available to everyone. We need to make architecture, otherwise it's going to die. Well, hmm. that's a different debate we could have another day because I kind of feel like maybe people aren't interested. So how do we get them interested? They're not interested because they cannot afford it. Are they though? Well, some of, uh, some of Entree Architects members said, I can't hire myself. I cannot afford myself. I, I think that goes back to what is the practice of architecture? What are the services that architects provide and why? If you were starting a business today, and, and we do this in my class, you have to identify a problem. And when we go through this process, you know, what's the problem that needs to be solved? And then the very next question is, is there anybody else that number one agrees that that is a problem and number two is willing to pay for a solution to that problem? And if the answer is no, you're not going to develop a business around that. It can't be a business. Mm. And there's a part of me that feels like in the practice of architecture, we're kind of there, right? If, if we're having this conversation right now, on the heels of Michael Gerber saying you've got to rethink what architecture is, the architecture of architecture, that brings me back to that point, right? If if nobody can afford it, if no one's willing to pay for it, if uh, we know there's a problem, we can provide a solution, but nobody wants it, no one's willing to pay for it, do you actually have a business? And I, I know that... <laughs> You know, that may be a little bit radical, uh, maybe a lot bit radical for a lot of our audience, but I think that's realistic in, in, at the end of 2021 to ask questions like that. You understand to sell an architectural firm in which Jerry is the architect is a, a very unsatisfying experience. I mean, what do you sell? You've got nothing to sell. Entrepreneurship is about creating something that is highly differentiated in the marketplace. Uh, differentiation is critical to brand. Entrepreneurship is about inventing a brand. Um, a brand is a unique, highly differentiated service, system, business, entity, enterprise on the planet. In a world of all the others, who effectively, despite the resistance to the term commoditization, are in fact commoditized because the um, average architect isn't Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, the average architect is John Jones struggling to make a living in Podunk, wherever, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, and extraordinarily frustrated that he isn't regarded as Frank Lloyd Wright. And when he knows he possesses the ability to become Frank Lloyd Wright, if only other people would recognize him. Um, in short, it's a hopeless task. And so 
The problem is the commoditization of the profession is simply created by the way the profession is launched, enacted, and commoditized on the planet. How to distinctly differentiate our architect from everyone else is the question. And in the process of doing that, we're going to reinvent architecture from the ground up. Because I'm not an architect doing that. I'm an entrepreneur doing that. So I'm not identified. I'm not narcissistically identified. I'm not egocentrically identified with my position as an architect. I have nothing to protect. I have nothing to defend. I have nothing to argue about. I'm in a completely new realm, the realm of creating on a blank piece of paper with beginner's mind, an outcome that I right now at this very moment haven't a clue how to do. But I do know that if I can literally transform the state of architecture worldwide, I will find a way to make it more democratically available to every human being on the planet. I'm essentially saying that everyone should possess the ability to design their world in a way that illuminates the greatest values inherent in the visual, in the emotional, in the functional, in the financial reality that we get to construct. I'm suggesting to be able to do that for everyone would be absolutely a stunning achievement. You talked about McLaney, who to me was a truly wise, successful guy. Uh, Gerber reminded me more of Munger. Mm -hmm. Specifically because of the E-Myth Architect book or just in general? He's, well, he seemed... Uh, as arrogant as we architects are supposed to be and uh, not knowing really what it is to be an architect, even if he wrote a book about it. He didn't claim he knows. He said it's a year to figure it out. And I appreciate that. He identified a, a problem and he's trying to push us to find a solution for it. And he was a provocative, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's definitely a provocateur. Yeah, he yeah. knows it too. <laughs> you know, we, we have been uh, bombarded, and I do appreciate it because I have come to realize the importance of that. But I don't know when I joined Entry Architects and when I started going to your challenges and stuff like that. But the whole thing about focusing in your niche and determining who your ideal client is, I, I have come to believe in that. I wonder who Gerber's ideal client is because he seems to want to write a book that applies to everybody and anybody. Okay. I was going to point out something totally obvious. I thought, I don't even want to say it on there because I don't want to seem as, you know, reveal my true thoughts. Okay. So he, when he has his book, right? The E-Myth, and then it's all about systematizing something so you can do it over and over again with other people. And then he wrote 19 books on different industries and it was all in the same formula so that he could sell this thing, right? Am I right? So he kind of created that thing. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. He is exactly. I mean, to me, that is the true genius of what he has done is that 
he has created the thing and systematized it and franchised yeah. it. This franchise of E-Myth, E-Myth franchise in the books is exactly what he describes in the E-Myth mm. in book form. And there's a part of me that looks at that and goes, there's something about that that doesn't necessarily sit right because I want every, I want every one of these products to be completely creative and, and new. But then there's a part of me that really respects the fact that he, that is so meta that he took the idea and, and turned it into 19 or 20, however many there actually are, which by the way, it's really hard to figure out how many there actually are. Go to Amazon and Wikipedia and all this, and and you get a different count every time. But there's at least 19 of them. Yeah. So I thought that seemed so obvious that I didn't want to bring it up before, but I just had to check and see if that was actually true. I think that's the elephant in the room, and in, in all the stuff that I listened to, no one's ever brought that up. Right. So I didn't want to be the first one. Yeah. No. I I I was reading the books, and I was like, good. He did the breaker thing on his own business, of course. <laughs> He did the burger thing on his own business. Yep. Well, you know what I think I'd like to implement from the whole burger thing is a uniform because that's really important. I think anybody who comes to work for me, <laughs> I'm going to tell them what they have to wear to work. Black, high neck. <laughs> yeah, the scarf is okay. You can get a color and a scarf, but black otherwise. I don't know. I, I was really, uh, I was really, I'm kind of inspired by it. It's kind of like shaking stuff loose off the, it's like shaking a building and all the stuff has fallen out of the rafters, kind of. Interesting conversation. Yep. That's why we get to have it as a podcast to listen again. Exactly. I forget which anti-architect uh, session it was that uh, prompted me to buy the domain for the grouchy architect.com maybe i should go now and buy the idiot architect.com and see what happens well what did you think did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today if you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire context and clarity live episode head on over to the entree architect youtube channel there's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week, and in the meantime, 
I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris. Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day I, i i don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.